felt a little bit like I was getting married again or something. I was much more nervous baptizing Emma than I expected, but uh, we got through it. So let's uh, uh, turn our Bibles to Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 14. And uh, we're continuing a series in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is called a, a word of encouragement. As I've said before, it's uh, often uh, thought of as an, uh, an original sermon in the early church. And we come to Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 14. Let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we ask now that your spirit would come and address our hearts. Lord, you promise that your word and your spirit work together to slice open our hearts or to divide joints and marrow and to uncover our sin before you and to help us to confess it and to turn from it to Jesus. So we ask that you would do that powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen. One of our modern day prophets has described the brokenness of the world in extensive detail in these words. Broken lines and broken strings, broken threads and broken springs. Broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. It's no use jiving, it's no use joking, everything is broken. Broken bottles and broken plates, broken switches and broken gates, broken dishes and broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken, everything is broken. You may anticipate as you uh, hear quite a description like that, uh, surely the world is not that bad and that dark. Uh, but I was reminded as I was reading this, uh, this scripture this week and preparing this sermon about a story of a congressman uh, that was written up in World Magazine uh, back in 2010. I must have been just wrapping up college when I read this uh, story by Emily Bells in World Magazine called Lessons from a Broken Man. It's a story of Mark Souter. He was an Indiana congressman, professing Christian, husband, father, held a lot of uh, significant and important uh, uh, views that, that I think generally I agree with, and yet he fell into uh, an illicit relationship, uh, abandoned uh, his commitment to his wife in those years, and he said this after he was coming to grips with his own sin and seeing his own heart. He wrote back and forth to Emily Bells, and then she recorded it. He said, there is no question that the hardest thing to guard is the human heart. Remember in the book of Proverbs that Solomon takes aside his son and he says, son, give me your heart. The book of Proverbs says, above all things, guard your heart, for from it is 
a wellspring of life. And I want to know, as you hear about someone, for instance, in a public office like that, or even think about someone that you know that's fallen into very severe sin like this, what is your initial reaction to that? How do you respond and interpret something like that? I think sometimes my heart says, how could he possibly do that? Or he should pay for what he's doing in straying from the bride that he'd made promises to. We're shocked, we're surprised by betrayal, and yet the Lord wants us to see in this passage this morning that our hearts are not that different than Mark Souders, who was able to, for a cheap thrill, cast off his marriage commitments. See, our problem is often that we have an excellent and robust theology In a tulip, we confess that we are totally depraved, that our mind, our heart, our affections, every aspect of our will is polluted by sin. But then when we see someone actually sinning, and oftentimes in relationship toward us, we say, how could you possibly do this? How dare you act in this way? And this text actually helps us to see the deceitfulness of sin, the slipperiness of sin And the fact that when someone falls into sin, they're falling into something that's a trick. And there's a call then for us to exhort one another and to help one another. We are on our way to the eternal city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And God puts us in relationships with each other and says, beware of your heart that is prone to wander and to stray. And then he puts us together to exhort one another on the way to heaven. As we've seen in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews doesn't come with sort of just a list of exhortations saying, do this, do this, do this. This is how you will persevere in the Christian walk. Instead, he sets Christ in front of the people. He says, this is what Jesus is like. Jesus is the last prophet. There are no more words coming in these last days. The Son of God has spoken. Jesus is the priest that has sat down after making purification for sins. Jesus is the great king that sits on the throne of his father because he himself is God. As we saw, the restrained potential desire to worship angels or something in this congregation that was addressed by this. And the author of Hebrews saying, don't be tempted with any of that stuff. Christ alone is unique and should be worshipped as the very son of God of God. And so the solution to your wandering heart is Christ himself. Christ himself is the solution to your wandering heart. Uh, The author sets Jesus in front of you, as he said in chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, notice addressing us as brothers, consider Jesus. That's how you're going to persevere. Set your whole affection and focus on Christ. Put no confidence in your own ability, your own fleshly confidence. Set that aside and focus on Christ. So we find in our passage then, first, an urgent call. An urgent call to an undivided love for the Lord. Look at verses 7 to 11. This is a quotation from Psalm 95, and it's very striking. In other places in the New Testament, it says, uh, it was written or it has been written. The author of Hebrews is very direct to say, the Holy Spirit says. 
And he means by this that God is speaking right now by the Holy Spirit when he reads these words. He takes a script that was written many, many years ago, and he says, this is God's word to your heart today, right now. Listen urgently. And what is the call? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Well, what is this story? Probably many of you remember the story of Israel, but let's recap it here briefly to bring us into our bring this into our imagination you remember the people of israel were rescued out of egypt they were brought through the red sea with an awesome powerful outstretched arm of god and you expect them joyfully to sing their whole way to the promised land right to be constantly grateful and excited and and uh, so just thankful that they get to be on this pilgrimage but no we don't find this in them. They grumbled their way the whole way to the promised land. So Exodus 16 as an example. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. You remember, they're speaking about their slavery. We wish we could go back to slavery. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is the doubt that is written by and spoken aggressively against the Lord. It's great accusation. It's your fault, God, that you have brought me here to suffer in this way. And you remember God graciously, amazingly provides manna for them to eat. And again, you expect the rest of the story to be them rejoicing and grateful that they can go out in the mornings and take up the manna and eat and be satisfied and nourished for their walk in the pilgrimage to the promised land, but notice Exodus 17. The people there thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? What does unbelief sound like? I can't look into hearts. None of us can look into hearts, but unbelief sounds like complaining, it sounds like, God, this is not the life that I expected you to give to me. My marriage should not have worked this way. My children are not turning out the way that I wanted you to change them. God, you are to blame. I recommend a book by Ronnie Martin. pastor wrote a book called Stop Your Complaining. Aggressive, strong title there. But it says in this book by Ronnie Martin, complaining is more than just a cute adjective to describe us on our bad days. In all of its various forms and functions, it's become a lifestyle, a way of existence, and a daily routine that is as natural to us as breathing, walking, and eating. And unfortunately, as we complain, oftentimes, as we doubt God's goodness and his kindness to us, it just becomes so natural we don't even hear anymore what we're saying. Whether we realize we're doing it or not, we actually love it. It's addicting. Complaining fuels an insatiable machine of moving parts inside our hearts that seeks to verbalize, capitalize on our endless state of discontentment. Lord, you haven't done what we thought you would do. You're not providing for us the way that you said you would. And notice, the author of Hebrews is very content to say, Psalm 95 referred to the people in the wilderness generation, but he's speaking to us today as we hear the voice of the Lord. I wonder if you just pause and grieve that reality. That complaining against God, who's loved us, who's provided for us infinite inheritance, 
is such a, a massive and serious offense against him. Notice all the references to the importance of focusing on the heart. Verse 8, verse 10, 12, and 13. Do not harden your heart. Verse 8, verse 10. They always go astray in their hearts. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The Lord loves us, and so he speaks right to our hearts. Uh, Deepak Raju and Jonathan Holmes write this about the heart. Christian understanding is that the heart is the real you. It's the essential core of who you are. Solomon writes, as water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the true man. And sometimes we say something and we think, oh no, that wasn't me. But the Bible is saying, no, when you speak, it comes out of the abundance of your desires. And the word of God then comes to us as a sharp and double-edged sword, piercing and revealing and showing that wicked unbelief that oftentimes characterizes our lives. And yet God faithfully walked this people through the wilderness land and calls us to learn from their hardness of heart and to not fall into their temptations. Well, how does God do that then? How does God enable us to listen when he says, today when I'm speaking to you, don't harden your heart? What has God given to us to actually enable us to be able to put this into practice. Well, notice Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So second here, I want us to see the Lord calls us into relationships to exhort one another. You and I, need formal and informal relationships by which we can know each other well enough that if we're straying away from God, someone will love us enough to say, I am very concerned for your soul. I'm worried that you're straying away from the living God. We need formal and informal friendships and relationships that do this. This fall, we're starting up small groups. I encourage you, if you have an opportunity to join a small group, get into a place where you can go deeper and deeper into relationship and pray for and be uh, prayed for as well. We have uh, real change uh, 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 gatherings that are coming up, uh, a potential men's ministry that I'm really looking forward to. And I just encourage you, if you have opportunities for formal friendships, move toward those. Uh, but we need informal friendships too. The author of Hebrews is assuming that we will know each other well enough that we will be able to exhort one another as long as it is called today. That same congressman that I mentioned at the outset of the sermon said this about one of the reasons that he strayed into this sin. One of the biggest dangers, which is partly why intimacy is desired, is loneliness. Loneliness doesn't mean being alone as much as it means being around hundreds of people, but not really being known by them. It's a job that results in hundreds, even thousands of friends. He's speaking about his uh, professional life, but not much closeness. And I'm sure you can relate in a wonderfully robust and good church, many, many people. You can relate to being in a crowd of lots of people, but maybe not feeling known very well by them. And I encourage you, move into deeper formal and informal relationships such that you can be known well enough that if you are walking away from the Lord, that your heart is getting hard, someone can say, I love you enough to call you back 
into a softened heart of repentance and walking with the Lord. Hebrews is going to tell us, don't forsake the gathering of believers. It's a a very common referred to passage by pastors and elders. We think about why we worship, and sometimes I think we think of it sort of an arbitrary command. I got to kind of punch the clock for my Sunday attendance, and that's not the reason for that. The reason we go and gather with believers is so that we will be able to worship the Lord and also be knit into a family that knows us and loves us and can say, I love you well enough that I will speak to you if something is in your life leading you away from the Lord. A pastor that I worked with for four years in my first call said to me often, the first indicator of concern for him was someone that just suddenly ceased gathering to worship anymore. And he said, how can we know one another if we no longer gather with God's people? But notice how we should exhort one another. The author of Hebrews assumes that you will be compassionate when you do this. Notice what he says about sin. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, Satan doesn't give you a temptation that's kind of straightforward. It's always a trick. It's always a deception. And so when we stumble on ourselves in sin or others sinning in an aggressive way, we should be compassionate. We should say, I recognize this tendency in myself. I know that my heart is prone to the same falling into temptation, not coming down hard on someone and saying, how dare you have sinned in this way, but saying, I know what it means to listen to sin's lies and Satan's whisperings and temptations, and I know the the seriousness of that. Well, I want us to close then thinking about the solution to a wandering and hard heart. If the call is this urgent message while it is still today, while you are in the hearing of the gospel, don't harden your heart. If one of the ways that God enables us to do that is in community, exhorting one another as long as it's called today, how do we actually then have the power to hold fast our confidence to the end? Notice the last verse here, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. See, the people who were hearing this sermon had believed. Jesus says that the proclamation of the kingdom is like a person going out and scattering seeds on different kinds of soil. And the seed uh, pops up quickly in some soils. And the call is not only just to receive the gospel, but to also persevere In that same gospel, you do not graduate from your need for the simple, basic gospel message. It's one of the reasons we preach the gospel over and over and over again. It's not just for one person maybe that came or two people or others that came who are not believers. It's because our hearts need the same message. If indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. And what is that confidence? What is that gospel message? How did God treat his people in the Old Testament who complained the whole way? There's a serious warning that they fell in the wilderness and did not 
end up in the promised land, but then their children God graciously welcomed into the promised land. And yet the story of Israel, if you remember, is a story of tragedy where over and over and over again, God did not, the people did not believe the good promises of God, and yet God repeatedly was faithful because of his character. Because he said to Abraham, I will be your God. I will do what the people of God will be faithless often in doing. And so God sends his son into the world. And as we saw in chapter 2 of Hebrews, Jesus is tempted like us. He goes out into the wilderness hungry for 40 days and says strongly against Satan, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he surrounds himself with disciples that are fickle and oftentimes straying in all kinds of ways. You remember when Jesus sits with them around a table and says, one of you is going to betray me. I love the response of the disciples. Is it me? I don't know who you're talking about. It could be me. That's the kind of humility that we should have as we think about the potential that we have to stray from the Lord. And yet Jesus says to them, I am going to eat this meal with you in the kingdom forever. And my only question as we close is, how can people who over and over again have wandered in different ways, have been tempted by the deceitfulness of sin, how can they find the eternal rest in God? How can God welcome an undeserving people like us? And the answer comes in a beautiful image in Exodus 17. I didn't finish the story when I read Exodus 17 originally. And one of the most beautiful images of substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament, God tells Moses that he himself will stand in front of the rock. That though the people have been faithless, and attacked his very character, he will put himself in front of the rock and he says, strike the rock three times and water will flow out. And if you think about what the wilderness generation deserved, it was to be struck down and yet the, the image of substitution is portrayed for us so beautifully in anticipation of what Christ would go through for us. The singer that I referenced at the beginning sings another verse, broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending, broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking, everything is broken. And the reality about your heart is that you also have been led away by the deceitfulness of sin in different ways, even in this week. And God has not swept you away as you could deserve in judgment, but he has shown you his faithfulness and his love. And he says, I know your proneness to wander. I know that your heart is prone to be hard, but my son was struck. Jesus was hung on a cross and he suffered what we deserved He was struck and water flowed from his side. And he says at the end of his sufferings, it's all finished. Everything that my people deserved is all done away with. It's all taken into me for them. And then he invites us to a feast eternally. He says, you will eat with me in the kingdom. And so the way that your heart 
is lured to actually trust God to not complain against him is he tells you, hold fast your original confidence. Hold on to the gospel of Jesus, pierced and broken and laying down his life for you as his loved son and daughter and know that in him, as you hold on to that confidence, nothing can separate you from his love. If he has given us Jesus, surely he will give us together with him everything that we truly need and our hearts don't have to complain and show unbelief against God by complaining against his nature. We're going to sing as we close a beautiful song by uh, a woman who herself uh, uh, was uh, abandoned in her marriage. Sandra McCracken uh, had a, a very unfaithful husband, and yet she sings about her own unfaithfulness in this song we're going to close with. Every vow we've broken and betrayed, you are the faithful one, and from the garden to the grave, bind us together and bring shalom. As we look to a faithful father who will bring his people all the way into the promised land, may we look to Jesus who has suffered all the consequences of our sins and may we cast those things aside then and turn in repentance and new faith and find hope and joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the glory and the riches of your promises, Lord. You showed them all the way through the Old Testament times. You led your people by Moses and Aaron into this new place that you were taking your people. And Lord, we ask that our hearts would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, uh, that we would truly rejoice, Lord, in the original confidence that we've had as we put our trust in Christ. I do pray, Father, if there are those here that are captivated by a sin that they do not want to give up, Lord, would you please reach them? Help us, Lord, to know each other well enough that we're actually willing to be vulnerable and talk about a serious sin that we want to change and grow and cast behind, Lord, ourselves. And we pray that we would know, Lord, that because you've loved us in Christ, because he was struck for our sins and transgressions, we can be made whole and have a new life and feast with you in the kingdom forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's stand and close by singing, We Will Feast.
people of God, the Lord loves you and he blesses you as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen.